Welcome to the Member Engagement Show with Higher Logic, the podcast for association professionals looking to boost retention, gain new members, and deepen member involvement. Throughout our show, we'll bring on some experts, talk shop about engagement, and you'll walk away with strategies proven to transform your organization. I'm Heather McNair. I'm Alex Mastriani, and we're happy you're here. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Member Engagement Show. Today, I'm excited to share with you a panel discussion from a new series that we just launched here at HireLogic called What's Next for Associations? At the start of 2020, no one really could have anticipated that we were about to enter a long period of experimentation. There wasn't really a playbook for running an association during a pandemic. The phrase, if you've heard it on the fly, was really taken to new heights. Many associations are now taking a close look at the last 15 to 18 months or so to determine the most effective tactics, talking about not just what's worked and what didn't work, but maybe more about what's sticking around and and what's to come that we haven't seen yet. So today we're going to listen to our first session of our What's Next series, which was all about marketing in a post-pandemic world. Our own Beth Errett, who you've heard on the podcast many times, is moderating today's discussion with three other association experts to talk about what things they're doing to add value and keep their members engaged. Take it away, Beth. Hello, everyone, and welcome. My name is Beth Errett. I am an association strategist at Higher Logic. Uh, so let's get started with the um, introductions. Annie, do you want to go ahead? Yeah, absolutely. Hey, everybody. My name is Annie Henderson. I am the Marketing and Communications Coordinator at ASBO International. I've been with them for um, nearly two years, and uh, ASBO is the Association of School Business Professionals. So we work very closely in the field of school business and all those folks who are at the district office helping all of our schools for their funding and budgeting, and it's a our job in the marketing department to make sure that they are getting all of the best information possible. Um, so yeah, thank you for having me today too. This is great. Um, great to have you here. Thanks for coming. Um, Ashley, do you want to go ahead? Yeah, thank you guys so much. So good afternoon. Uh, my name is Ashley Brookshaw and I'm the current online community engagement manager for the American Society of Safety Professionals. I manage an exclusive online member benefit there for our 36,000 members of occupational safety and health professionals. And I also manage our online uh, diversity, equity and inclusion groups as well. I've been there for about three years now. And part of my job, in addition to managing that online space, is really enabling our volunteer leaders through those DEI groups that I mentioned to provide value to their members through any sort of a virtual networking and virtual programming as well. And I'm very excited to be here with you today. We're excited to have you. Um, So last but definitely not least, um, Jeff. Hi, I'm Jeff Spock. I'm the CEO of Association Revenue Partners. Uh, We've been in business about 10 years, uh, Inc. 5000 company last year and hopefully again this year, which we uh, anticipate. Um, We work with hundreds of trade associations and raise non-dues revenue through digital publications, print publications, anything you can imagine. We actually also work with school districts around the United States as well under a different business name. And so we have about 100 school district partners as well. So, um, you know, I've been in digital marketing my entire career prior to operating this business. I work for one of the largest digital marketing companies in the world and Google's only global partner. And, you know, I love digital media and I'm passionate about it. So I'm glad to be on the call and uh, hopefully give some good ideas to everybody today. I'm glad to have you. I really appreciate the time you guys have put into this. I know um, 
we've talked behind the scenes a couple of times. So um, everybody's put a lot of time and I really appreciate it. And I know it's going to be a lot of really good information. Um, so let's get started. We all know we've been through a lot of rapid change in the last year and a half. Uh, so and at this point, we're just we've been able to kind of see and evaluate what's been working and what hasn't. So in this first session, we're going to talk about association marketing in a post-pandemic world. And um, I'm just I'm thrilled to have everybody here. Um, so what we're going to be talking about first is which digital experiences are actually from now on, they're going to be required. Um, these are things that your members are going to expect you to have. And um, things that are, you know, just from now on, you're going to have to do them. So we're going to start talking about the future by talking a little bit about what we've done and then how that translates. So, Annie, um, how did ASBO International really pivot to respond to those new needs that people had? So the way that ASBO took it was actually almost like a silver lining because before then we had planned on adding a new membership category uh, for us for the district office and not just one individual person and allowing all these additional people within the district office to become members of ASBO that opened up a whole new world of well how do we provide them premier professional development in the field of school business and so when we had to pivot to a virtual conference um, last year it was something that we didn't initially think about but now we have this ability to say hey all the members of these district offices now you can come and join um your school business manager or your um your your budgeting manager or, or whomever is second to the superintendent in the district office come and have this great professional development experience virtually and we had such a well received response from all of our attendees that it showed us that we can't go back to just sole in-person multi-day conference events. We have to provide that even after an in-person conference event or even multiple times a year in smaller portions because Members are busy. I don't, doesn't matter what field they're in, what, what association you're with, members are busy and they don't always have the time to sit down in front of their computer for two or three days for a virtual event. So even cutting it up into like a few weeks after maybe an in-person event or even a first quarter, one day inspirational leadership event where you, you know, or even a summertime relief of, you know, doing something that's more focused. Our members are responding in tenfold to these types of changes that we've made from sole in-person to now more virtual with cutting it down to almost less in-person. That's a huge shift. I mean, that's, that's, that's big. Do you think that there's going to continue to be a huge demand for that? Or do you think people are going to slowly, slift, sh slowly shift back as things become normal? Right. Uh, you know, honestly, I think it's here to stay. And because you're able to provide still this amazing quality professional development experience for a lower cost to the member. And if they're an association or if they're in a, a field that maybe they 
pay for their professional development, there's a budget line item where, okay, you get X number of dollars for your professional development every year. And if you're capped out at a certain number, then that member is having to then use their own money to fill in that, that gap of professional development. And this is, so I definitely know that this is going to be here to stay. I am 100% confident in that, especially given how all associations had to shift. Um, and I'm really excited for it. And I think a lot of people are too. I agree. I just think there's so much more accessibility and so much more um, chance to for everyone to be able to participate as, as opposed to the ones who can afford to travel or who are high enough up that they can get their travel paid for and they can be away from the office those days. Um, I think the only really big problem there is that when you're in the office, people expect you to be in the office, even if you're technically attending a conference. And that's something is always going to, I think, be a balance. It's going to be harder to to break. Right. Um, so that's why maybe yeah. going to a one-day event rather than a multi-day event. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, so, Ashley, um, as a community engagement manager, can you tell us a little bit about what the member experience looks like now? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for asking. So um, as Annie was talking about, and as we've all lived through the past 18 months, the pandemic has really forced organizations to examine how they're using technology to connect with members and other stakeholders. So this includes the overall quality of features and online programming and platform usage in relation to any sort of hybrid event that you may be doing. Um, my organization is having our annual conference, and for this year, it'll be the first time that we had a hybrid experience. Last year, like many organizations, as we've stated, have had to pivot to that online experience and what did that look like, which caused, as I'm sure many of you know, this firestorm of how do we do this online? How do we present the, um, the speakers, the recordings, the features of these platforms? How do we provide that connectivity that our members have come to expect? So from my perspective, um, the some of the most important things that organizations and associations should take a look at is taking a look at at the vendor, um, the platform itself, taking a look at those features, not only the features of connectivity, so like you know your badging or your attendee um, directory, but really taking a look at what automated workflows are there to help the members get familiar with the technology. So what is the registration process? Does the platform provide any sort of um, know-before-you-go emails? Are you utilizing that? So the member experience, from my perspective, is really going to be going Going forward, that that hybrid experience for people who want to in, in, engage um, in professional development online. Um, I'll just share now for our um, conference that's coming up. The last number that I heard is we have 900 people just registered for the virtual, which I think is huge, and we're still a few months out. That's amazing. Um, so what are you doing in the promotions? Just to like, are you doing anything different in the promotion? I guess I should ask to talk to them about how they're going to be engaging. Yeah, so um, I'm actually, as you guys know, I'm the online community like engagement manager, and I work very closely with the marketing department. But really, what it's about is re we are reimagining what our conference is looking like. And since it's a hybrid experience, we've taken this opportunity to kind of rebrand what that looks like and allowing people to choose the track and the membership experience that will be right for them. So if you want to go um, specifically online for education, there's a track for that. If you're looking and you know very excited and thirsty for that in-person connection and you want to um, take a flight to Austin, there's a track for that as well. So really, uh, it's about, in my perspective, knowing who your members are and 
really taking a look at the segmentation within the members because it may have shifted as we've seen during the, during the pandemic, your membership may look slightly different. When, when did you say your conference is? September. September. Okay, so mm-hmm. uh, you've got 900 now. Wow, it's going to be big. For virtual, and that's just the virtual. Yeah. I think for in-person, yeah. yeah, I think it was like just over 2,000, but I'll be predominantly um, focused on that virtual portion of it. Um, so I know it's going to go off swimmingly too. Thank you. I, you'll do a very good job with it. Um, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, it's going to go. It's going to go great. I have every faith. Um, so Jeff, can you tell us a little bit about um, the member perspective? Yeah, we'll I'll talk about the vendor member perspective. And actually, I think you made some great points as well as Annie. I think the vendors are looking for the one-on-one um, interaction with the members. And quite frankly, the members want it too. They want products that can help them do their job better, smarter, faster, whatever it might be for their particular industry. So the vendors, are, man, they really love the in-person trade shows. Get to know everybody, right? You make those one-on-one connections. And so, you know, we've seen a really uh, big head first into digital from late adopters. Um, so anybody who wasn't doing digital previously, they've really dug in. They're really analyzing their strategy, website traffic, newsletter engagement, um, click-through rates for our clients are quite frankly higher than they've ever been before. Um, digital spend across our company, across our partners, went up over 40% uh, year over year. So incredible, incredible growth. So the money just shifted from one place to another. Um, I think vendors are still looking to create that direct experience, even if it's through digital. So how can we do that? We either programmatic, web, email, database marketing. Um, we've also seen um, you know, something else that's been very, very important for our clients is social monitoring. So people have really, really dug into things like social cloud, sprinkler, mentioned, where maybe the vendor community didn't do that quite as much as the association membership did it in the past. <clears throat> the members are, are really taking a hold of this, and it's very, very important. So as an association, I would recommend, how can you create a program or a strategy that allows that member digitally to have as much as they can as a one-on-one connection with that member? And it could be you know, um, slicing and dicing different programs. Um, uh, like if they give content in a show, sending out like this, you're going to send it out to everybody that sees this. What if at that point you are also able to sell a sponsorship around that for somebody that is appropriate to that functional area? Vendors are, are desperate for these types of things and they exist. Yeah. And, and that actually is a really good segue. Did we lose a man? There he is. Um, so that is actually a really good segue if Jeff is back. I'm here. I don't know if you can see me. Can you hear me? We can hear you. Yeah. Okay. There we go. Yeah, I'm having a little bit of camera trouble today. It keeps uh, cutting out for some reason. So. Yeah, I don't know what's. Yeah, we're having some fun with cameras over here. Um. So, oh, he's disappeared again. I'm still here. It's just uh, the cameras. Okay. All right. So we will just keep talking to you while you pop in and out like a genie. Um. So, this does it's a, is a really good segue into our next question um, about new programs that are taking off and which ones are getting left behind. Yes. So, so uh, can you just keep talking, yeah, about the um, which programs are taking off? Well, I think so. uh, I'll start with the ones that are getting left behind. Let's start there. One of the ones that are getting left behind: digital buyers guides. I sold them in a past life. I'm gonna let you know. I, I don't think they work. I think you're actually just taking money from your members potentially that you know could be better spent other places. I can't remember the last time I personally went to a buyer's guide. You know, I'm an ASAE member, but I'm not going to, I don't go to the buyer's guide. I go to Google to look for the vendors that I need. That's what most of us do. So how can we find a better way for, you know, your vendor community to spend that money to get a better lift? Because even if they are buying in that platform and it doesn't work, are they likely to increase their spend in other areas with your association? Probably not. But if you create a strategy that works, that does provide lift, well, they're going to keep expanding how much they're spending with you. Um, so topic-based e-newsletters have been huge. 
So think, hey, this January, we're doing HR month. You send out a newsletter with two or three articles once a week, specific around HR. The vendors in your industry that are related to HR are probably going to buy an ad, right? So it makes a lot of sense. It provides value for the member because they're learning about a functional area that's important to your industry and provides the vendor a direct connection with that person. And that member, again, is going to receive probably an ad from somebody who can probably help their business, right? Um, a platform that we've used ourselves as an exhibitor um, with TSPRA, the Texas School Public Relations Association, they used uh, rem remo.co for their uh, trade show. And I, I mentioned this because we there's digital roundtables versus digital events. There are things where you look like a little Wii U guy walking around. You can talk to people and stuff. Well, what happens is a vendor, when we talk to a member, it's like, oh, you're a vendor. I don't want to talk to you. They run the other way, right? So we found a lot of success from the digital roundtable on this platform. So people that wanted to talk and engage with us, they would show up. We would talk to them, present. And it was fantastic. So I recommend that if you guys can uh, find something like that technology. And that's uh, remo.co. And I, I say that I have no financial interest in them. You know, I, we paid them to use their platform, right? So um, I, I recommend things like that. Things that will allow your vendors to engage with the members directly digitally. Building on that, Annie, um, you mentioned the virtual option of yours was much more reasonably priced and it turned out to be really successful. So how do you see that continuing to shift into a hybrid environment? And do you have other programs that are kind of being sunset? Well, the one um, one aspect that we saw is that, you know, it was actually mentioned earlier, you know, you said it, Beth, is that, you know, our members don't have time to be at their desks in front of a computer for virtual events or hybrid events. And let's just say that there's one person that does get their travel paid for for professional development. And so the key here is, I think, while hybrid is great, but separating it out too and making them different dates um, is going to be essential so that when that main person comes back, they can start implementing some of the great things that they learned at the in-person. And then a few weeks following, you take some components of what was shared in the in-person and maybe even some new fresh content for the virtual event. And you have all the other members of the office, uh, you know, attend that virtual event. So you're not yeah. feeling like everyone's dispersing. And, and that's, I think that's a really big um, shift. So I think that some of the things that are maybe going to sunset is while in-person is still really important, um, I think there's going to be more virtual options more frequently for that busy member. And in-person is still going to be maybe like that once, twice, you know, depending on your membership, maybe even three times a year um, that it's going to be your, your mainstay. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm really feeling like virtual is going to be kind of that new accessible component um, along with just your normal everyday amazing webinars or professional moment you can curate for your members and how you can market that to them as this is for all, this is for the many, this is not exclusive to one type of person too. It's a good point. Yeah. And I think that just as people become more and more used to it, it's almost going to become just part of their monthly routine. I'm going to have all of these different ones that people, that my organizations that I trust have curated for me, as you put it. Yeah. I think that hopefully that's just going to become part of their routine and they're just going to add it to their schedules and that's going to be that. So that's my hope. Um, I do love the fact that it opens up so much more accessibility. I just, that's what always been my favorite thing about hybrid and online. It's just, it's, there's so much accessibility to it. Absolutely. Um, I love being able to be in my office, 
B, do an hour webinar. Like, hey, I took a lot away from that. Do a debrief and send it along. Like, here's what I learned and here's what I think we could do to implement it. Do it once a month, twice a month. I, I can manage that. I can't manage sometimes always being away from the office, um, my workstation in my home office for multiple days. Because I feel like, okay, what did I miss that happened at the office? I kind of get this anxiety feeling to myself. <laughs> checking email or furiously going, okay, have I missed anything? What's going on? What are they not telling me? Emails. Yeah, I know that feeling. <laughs> um, so we're going to shift a little bit from education to um, sort of networking, um, the, the home side of things. Ashley, for associations, you'd mentioned that before the pandemic, that chapter was kind of the home of people for the association. Can you tell us a little bit about how that's shifting within membership? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. So one of the things that I really want associations to kind of take a look at is what is the current and traditional membership experience that your members have gone is specifically tied to what is the value proposition? What is the culture of that? So like we said that the chapters have traditionally and in some cases continue to be that home for that membership and connection. I really do believe that in order for associations to pivot to the new normal and not only pivot to it, but sustain it um, based on member expectations is prioritize the strategic planning and the organizational structure specifically as it relates to technology. So how are your members connecting outside of that localized chapter experience? Um, for something that we've done, um, I, we have chapters and um, the value proposition for an ASSP chapter is really centered around that local level engagement, right? So no virtual community programming that was done through the common interest group practices, which is what I um, manage, as well as a, a practice specialty, which is more related around technical industry news, for example. However, as we've seen in the pandemic, local level stuff is not a thing anymore. It wasn't a thing for many, many months, right? Just almost yeah. overnight, chapters had to shut down programming. So that leaves a gap in the member experience. So how do you fill that? So one option that I would you know, submit for consideration is to think outside the box just because it's always been done one way doesn't mean it has to continue to be done that way. So what we did is we provided uh, chapters with virtual tools, some resources, and some um, potential programming that they could do in the interim. That's something that I really want to stress associations start to think about because as we've been talking during our time together, this kind of hybrid experience is here to stay. I believe as Annie mentioned, some, or some associations have provided provided a um, uh, digital membership offering, right? So we know that members want to connect in a way that is best suited for them. I do know from feedback from our members, um, and you get into demographics a little bit here, but the kind of the traditional chapter meeting, as I understand it, was two, three hours long, like in the middle of the day and geographically chapters were located in a place where a member may have to drive 30 minutes or an hour or closer to the, you know, to or closer to the nearest chapter in order to get that connection. So again, reinstating that organizations and associations should really take a look at the organization structure and the technology integration points in order to be able to serve those members long-term and you know meet them where they are and give them the tools that they need to want to connect. Some people might resist. I, I know that there are some people who are like, oh, we can't wait to, for people to, for things to get back to the way they were. 
um, to those who might resist that and um, are like, well, we've always done it this way. This is just a blip and things are going to go back. Um, what would you say? What would you say to them to try and get them to understand that, no, no, this is going to be the expectation. You need to run with it rather than try and fight it. You know, I got to be honest. If I had the answer to that question, I would be a very rich woman. Um, so this is where I actually um, leverage kind of my change management skill set and like methodology. Um, I really take a look at what is important to this particular stakeholder that I'm having the conversation with and speaking in a language that resonates with them and highlights the what's in it for them. So when you ask me like, hey, Ashley, you know, this is just a blip. I kind of come armed with data-driven recommendations and I would just pull out, well, according to the CDC, things in areas are going up. You know, I work for a safety organization, so I have the benefit of kind of getting that knowledge and being plugged into that. So it's like, Yes, things have things may be going back to normal, but how are you defining normal? It goes into that language and forms, you know, kind of perception and like, let's make sure that we're operating um, on the same definition. And to be perfectly honest, I come from it's it's important to include the voice of the member. So, for example, what are your members saying? Do your members like the virtual programming? Is it I mean, this is kind of like a, a whole change management and cultural shift. And in some cases, it's a behavioral checkup, if you will, for the organization, like it's going to be uncomfortable for some people, but I always recommend keeping the member's voice in mind, having any sort of data points from any previous annual surveys that have been done, any polls that have been done, um, if you have an online community, but come armed with some data points to be to be able to reinforce your position when you manage that uh, resistance to change, if you will. Yeah, and that's, I mean, data helpful, so helpful, and it's that from your members. Oh super helpful yeah um so yeah <laughs> um so i want to um be mindful of time and go ahead and pivot to our final question so this question is one um that's near and dear to my heart is how to target members who are likely are now going to be busier than ever before so annie i know you were able to get a lot of amazing very relevant content to your members very quickly um can you talk a little bit about how that works and how it has it evolved over time Absolutely. Um, so when it came to this whole last March, even um, shutting down and all that, it, it it rocked all schools, all parents, all district offices, um, everywhere around this world. And so the most important part that we realize as an association is we need to talk to our members and our members who are really involved with us and those are our committee folks and so we reached out for, to them um there was a task force that was created within the organization to to drive this content so whether it was a magazine article um, in our print publication or if it was a guest blog post on our community network where it was like just simply sharing some of the social posts that we were pushing and sharing it out getting involved that was that was really the key factor in, in pushing all that content out um, we have a, a great publication committee we have our editorial advisory committee we have a great legislative committee our members are so dialed in because they're so passionate about what they do they're really the true stars of how that content came to reason we just had to realize that it was right there for the taking we just had to make the ask and that's something that i think any marketer 
um, any association, any foundation, any not-for-profit can realize is all you got to do is you got to make the ask and, and content can come after that. So um, when you're making that ask of, say, you know, a really busy committee member or something like that, somebody who's in damage control, trying to figure out how to get their schools online, how do you phrase that ask so that, you know, they make it, it feels like it's something that's important for them to do as opposed to, you're asking me to do something I just don't have time to do right now. How do you right. phrase that? Yeah, there, there's definitely going to be pushback. Um, we actually, for one of our programs that was shifting from um, in-person testing, so our certification was in-person testing only, and, well, you couldn't do that anymore during the pandemic. So there was literally no testing happening for the certification for almost five months until we were able to get online, an online proctored test, which was a huge game changer for our program overall. And we got granular with our member ask and we went down to the early younger member, not the um, the, you know, high demographic number that we do have of, you know, 45, 55 uh, men and women, this is their second or maybe even third career path. This is the younger audience that we have in our membership. And it was an immediate yes. And so it's really making those identified asks because you can't just ask, ask a random member. I think using your, if you do a membership survey um, yearly and you look at that data, because Ashley spoke perfectly to it, you have to get those numbers, back up, find those numbers, read in between the lines, pull them out, get granular with it so that you're not asking for a no, you're asking for a yes. And you can pretty much guarantee that yes. I like that. Um, so I think that I'm just trying to think from my standpoint when I was in the association issues, if I was listening to this, one of the other things I would want to know is how in the world you plan a content calendar like that when you're relying on volunteers and you're, you know, you're pivoting left and right to try and get new content. How do you plan out a calendar like that? <laughs> you don't. <laughs> You don't. <laughs> if your members are active, if you have an online community where they can come and ask questions, that is your content calendar right there. They're telling you what they want to know. And we also sent out our own survey um, with good responses too. So you don't plan it. You do. You're you are reactionary um, during that kind of position. But then you can learn from it. So like this now here we are one year later and I'm learning from what we did and I'm saying, Hey, remember when we wrote this? Remember when we did this? How does it compare to now? And I'm really excited to hear what our members have to say. I, I really want to know what they have to say too. <laughs> I'm really curious. Um, I mean, you mentioned community, Ashley. I mean, community is a great place to, to start to get content. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, kind of just to piggyback off that, you know, how you keep global communication going and getting members to engage in a space in a, in a space that's not purely virtual. 
to Annie's point, you know, you can have a content calendar, you can have a basic structure, but the content is organic in the fact of what's happening with the society and what's happening in the world in general. So for example, um, because I have the pleasure of working, you know, with safety professionals and, you know, we had to really equip them with not only content like articles, but we did free webinars to get them engaged on like, here's what safety measures could look like in this pandemic. I mean, we had volunteers come out of the world work to want to lead these webinars and provide those COVID-19 resources to their actual counterparts and their and their professional colleagues. What I did um, from a standpoint um, with our online community, and I will get super technical because I am a little bit of a nerd, so feel free to rein me back, um, is that I opened up our uh, structures in the online community and put a specific COVID-19 place that was integrated with our overall communication strategy, which was great. Our online community also had a widget that I was able to put on our uh, COVID-19 website. So it was that nice integration point and it went out in a lot of email and marketing communications to our members. One of the things that I would also like to say is that if members are used to getting like direct mail, like associations really should kind of take a look at organizational and structural priorities and how it relates to that technological integration point, because we have global members and we were mailing out our publication to Kuwait and Nigeria and places um, you know, outside of the US, right? Um, but we also have a global, or excuse me, a digital version of our um, publication that's available right on the website site, you know, which is great. So really want to reinforce, you know, taking a look at those data-driven recommendations that we talked about earlier on, you know, what do your members want to see? If you have an online community and or social media presence, ask them. I'm sure they will tell you that is a that is an excellent data point. And then um, we also talked about, you know, an annual survey, but also one thing is leverage your other members. That peer-to-peer -peer recommendation is, you know, phenomenal. For us, it's our um, volunteer leaders, the chapter leaders, the virtual community leaders. They're going to tell their friends like, hey, this webinar is coming up or hey, we're getting together at this local level safely because the society has provided guidelines on what that looks like. So I think there's a multitude of ways you can do it, but I always like to start out from what is the organizational structure and how is that how is that mirrored towards the technological integration points? Because, you know, technology is going to be the future. It is not going anywhere. It's only going to get more matrixed and, you know, technology changes every day. So associations um, really, really want to encourage you guys to take a look at what is a technological structure? Can it be approved upon or do you just need to start? In some cases, you may need to start. So I know that I know that um, one source of, I speak from experience, one source of content can be from vendors. Um, you know, there's obviously vendors are know when they need to keep it educational and when they can actually put a pure sales in there. But um, I know that vendors for me have been a great source of content over the years. So Jeff, maybe you can talk a little bit about how that fits in um, and with vendors and then also just sort of how, you know, the, how your vendors are engaging with members well, yeah, of course, of course, but so, um, you know, I'll first start by saying, you know, uh, the things that Annie um, and Ashley talked about really 
um, are, are important to the vendors. So first you go out and you get some of the data points so you can narrow down your membership and then ask yourself about getting content. And wow, you know, a vendor doesn't necessarily want to advertise in a magazine that's going to Nigeria or another place, right? And the old idea of advertising in magazines that have 30,000 people, maybe 5,000 might buy my product or something like that. As a vendor, we want those direct connections. So Beth, you then just mentioned, hey, um, you know, talk about vendors providing content. One of our most successful product lines across any association is editorial content provided by the vendor. So this is not an advertorial send, it's an editorial send. They get a full email, they send out once a week or once a month, depending on the association and how many emails they're sending their members. But the members have actually found a lot of value in this. You have somebody who, in our case, they're a safety expert, you know, or in case, they're, they're an expert at managing school infrastructure, right? And they're talking about something that is very important to the, this functional area of a subset of your membership. So you could either blast out to everybody or you slice and dice your database to say, wow, this particular safety person is focused on medical safety. This person is focused on, I don't know that that's exactly accurate actually, but you understand you know, kind of where I'm going. The more you can slice and dice your database and then track, adjust, track, adjust to provide the members the best possible vendor experience. And it, because again, I do believe the members want to find the products that help them work better, farther, smarter, faster, whatever. And the vendor community is willing to pay for these type of experiences um, to connect with the members. And, and I think we do it the right way and the members are receiving the information from the vendors they want to receive it from, well, that's a winning scenario for everybody involved, everybody involved. And I think as we dig deeper into the digital um, world, the ability to target members who are busier than ever before is easier than it's ever been before, right? It's, you know, I can identify, you know, somebody that, um, you know, is a safety professional. How? Well, they went to Ashley's Association's website. You can reasonably assume that person is probably involved in the industry. And similar to the way you search for shoes on Google, and then you see Nike ads everywhere you go on CNN, your vendors actually have the opportunity to retarget people who visit your association's website. So now as an association, you actually have a chance to monetize the rest of the internet that you currently didn't do. And we can help do those things. Associations are having a lot of success, raising hundreds of thousands of dollars a year doing this. Um, and same with trade shows. I think uh, we've had a lot of success um, with monthly newsletter-based trade shows or um, newsletters based upon their specific trade show. So you're going to promote the trade show throughout the year, keep it top of mind, but a vendor is also going to sponsor that communication. So, uh, and drive traffic to the communities, back to your website. Uh, it, it all kind of works together if you plan this out right. Yeah, agreed. And I, I think that um, there is so much exciting with, with targeting right now. Um, more than ever. There's so much more you can do now than ever before. And I love that track, adjust, track, adjust, track, adjust. I just feel like that's something that can never be said too often um, because targeting is fantastic. And, you know, we all want to target as narrowly as we can so that um, to just, they're getting exactly what they want to see. And then they don't care how much email you send them to the most part, for the most part. And but, just because something worked today doesn't mean it's going to work tomorrow, right? That's why we keep adjusting. We well, have to keep adjusting. It's a better yeah. member experience, right? And yeah. every new great new platform technology that comes out, you know, it's an opportunity for your association to find out how it can help your members and how it can help your vendors connect, which I believe is kind of the core responsibility of the association. You serve as that meeting point for the vendors and members and a voice to the government and the world about your industries, right? Agreed. Agreed. And I think I think that's actually a great place to sort of pause um, because I want to be mindful of the time. Um, so, because at this point, I want us to move into QA because we have already got some good questions rolling in. If you have a question, please do go ahead and submit them in the question box on the bottom right if you haven't already. Um, but this question, um, I think, is really probably going to be one for Jeff. Um, 
although everybody else is obviously welcome to chime in, but members may love the virtual, but how are the vendors responding? Um, as important revenue sources, how can we keep them happy and engaged in a virtual world? Because I think we most of us have found that the digital exhibit hall just really isn't working. So what are the ways that we can keep them happy and engaged um, and can make that important connection? Because the exhibit hall at my at the annual my old job was like the most one of the, the most important things to people because they wanted to make personal connection. You know, I talk with vendors, well, and you know, people in my company, we talk with vendors all day. And the one thing we ask when we're, especially when we're starting a partnership and we're calling the newest top sponsors of an association, what's the best way that you want to reach the membership? What ideas do you have? We talk to the vendors and say, what have you found to work successful in the past? How can we translate what used to be an in-person experience into a digital experience? Um, is there something we can set up to where it can be uh, like an online webinar where it's the virtual trade show, but it's like you're just talking to the person. Like I mentioned before, the remo.co. We found that to be highly valuable because the people who are coming to talk to us are actually interested in what we're doing. And it's just not a, oh, hey, you know, uh, elevator pitch. I mean, somebody's actually interested in your product and service. Um, that would be my suggestion. Well, that's a good point too. I mean, the fact that, you know, the people who you're getting less volume, but you're getting less quantity, more quality. Exactly. When, exactly. And yeah. it's trackable. And I think the vendors nowadays yeah. want to prove value for their money more than they ever have before. I mean, they really need the ROI and we can define it mm -hmm. uh, much better ever in the past. Right. I mean, we can identify yeah. visit your website, leaves it, then comes back, ends up making a purchase and tie that from the original search on Google or whatever. Right. So we can really hammer these things down in digital, which we might not have been able to do in the past through print or other. Mechanism. Yeah, well, and I mean, I think that the ROI is going to be massive in terms of percentage over what it costs to go to a trade show. I mean, it's expensive. I, I, you know, I'm still going to vote. I like both. You know, I enjoyed attending trade I shows. Do, I was sad they canceled the past. It was supposed to be in Dallas. That's my backyard, right? I was, oh, I don't have to get a hotel this time. Are you kidding me? You're all excited. So I, I think in person is important too. But oh, how do we, I think the people that are going to start doing more in person and, and start bringing it back, how are you going to take those, the best sessions? How are you going to divide that? How are you going to disseminate that content then throughout the year and then monetize that content throughout the year, right? Vendors want to attach themselves with the ideas and topics that are relevant to them, right? And they're willing to pay for that if they think they're going to get a lift. But I, I don't think many vendors want to be in newsletters with 20 ads anymore, right? They want to be in a newsletter that have 10 ads, right? They don't want to be in a newsletter with... 10 other companies do what they do. And then what happens? There's no lift. Well, the vendor, the members have a terrible experience um, seeing the same ads, right? So I think as specific as you can get and as direct as you can get through data, like Annie said, and through good content, like Ashley said, I think that makes a, a lot of sense. Agreed, agreed. So um, the next question is, how do you make the pitch to leadership, i.e. like the board of directors who are itching to get back to in-person that remote is worth the investment? I can I can feel this one. Um, yeah, you know it's true. I'm I'm right there with with Jeff. Like in person still has major value. I mean, it's one of my members said it that best. It's coming to the annual conference gives you a resurgence. It's a refuel. You get to share with colleagues that are like minded who share the same passion for the field that they're in. Um, so. In-person still has a, a huge mainstay stake in, in their relationship with their membership of your association. Um, but for direct board of directors and your leadership, you have to remember, these are still your members. The board of directors are, are, are still your members. So pain points, just 
you got to see pain points and pick them out. We did a survey about virtual learning um, last year, and that gave us a lot of data. And we selected bits and pieces from that to present to the board. And that type of information, I mean, we go back to it time and time again over the, the last 45 minutes. Analytics, numbers, data, they don't lie. They help drive decisions and they're so important. So if you're not already taking down that type of analytics, start now, start small, build your way up because it's going to serve you just a great purpose in any pitch that you want to do to the board, whether it be a hybrid event or continuing in person or changing a whole program in its entirety. You need the data to help drive the decision. Okay, we keep coming back to that over and over. Um, Ashley, all of us, data is what's going to help. Yeah, and I was just going to say, like, uh, you know, um, I may be a little spoiled because I work first, like my board of directors, they're safety professionals, so they, ha they have the data, they have the analytics, they're tracking stuff with the CTC. Um, so for me, I would say, um, it, yes, echoing the data-driven recommendations are important, but also having like the conversation to get a sense of, we know that in person is important. There are just some people that have want to connect in person. That is just how they they are wired. There are some people though where they they don't mind connecting virtually. And I do think that if it's if it's done correctly and it's kind of spread out, I know that we have like the Zoom fatigue now. Like everything is online and every every you're always online and that that screen time is there all the time. But getting creative and innovative. Um, while pulling in those data-driven recommendations, I think will be very helpful because if you can demonstrate, like there's a lot of things that people are doing now to connect in the virtual space and members are, are enjoying it, they're liking it because to the point about accessibility earlier, there may be some people that may not be able to go to a three-hour chapter meeting in the middle of the day. They may not be, ha they may not have budget to travel to a conference for, you know, three to four days. So I think that um, pulling in those those data-driven recommendations, yes, but also pulling in those elements or here's what has worked in similar spaces may go with that conversation as well. But like I said, I'm spoiled. I have safety professionals as leadership. So, um, but yeah, I, that's what my recommendation would be as well. So that, that kind of brings up an interesting question um, just to build off of that. Um, I have a very insightful colleague at AAA, Gwen Basaria, who liked to call what we were going through, even before the pandemic, she liked to say that we were actually going through the next industrial revolution. And I think in in many respects, she was right. And also she did not see what was coming, but wow, did it speed up. Um, and as somebody who loves to go and look through history and stuff like that, I mean, you can see that there are always catalysts that build these things and make them like suddenly speed up when people are resistant. Um, and so with that in mind, as being on screen actually becomes more and more normal and people are more and more used to it because more people than ever are going to be working from home now. I mean, I know that it struck me yesterday that I, um, I've never met most of my coworkers because I started here during the pandemic. Um, I only met some of them because I knew them ahead of time. Um, and I, they're spread out all over three countries on all over the US and three countries. And it's it's weird because I feel like we work in one big office because they're all right there in teams and I can talk to any one of them face-to-face -face anytime I want. And it's just, they're all right there in that 
little square building in my head. And so I th- as that becomes more normal, do you think that the virtual will just become, the Zoom fatigue will fade and it will just become even more normal to just be seeing people online all the time? So um, I can take a stab at this. I've actually had some conversations about like, what does the future of work look like? You know, this digital kind of hybrid experience. And I would say that it is going to be tied to your organizational culture right? And what you want to provide to your members. Um, I, I joke with my um, colleagues. Well, first of all, I'm a, I'm a glorified introvert. I'm never going back in the office. Full transparency. Not doing it. Not going. Um, but the organizations have like a lot of conversations on how do you continue to engage people in this hybrid place? I, you know, I make a joke about it, but Prior to the pandemic, when people were having, you know, meetings or conference calls, if you will, you weren't always on the camera, right? It wasn't always a video call. In some cases, it was just a conference call. Um, I would say that um, when you're doing kind of hybrid events, this is what we've seen. We've done virtual coffees. We, we've had that connectivity in that series with the board farm members because they really wanted to be able to connect with individuals. The great thing about that is it made our leadership team much more accessible because all you had to do was log into a Zoom link. I would caution associations to continuously check and assess how the virtual events are going based on, again, data. So registrations, you know, comments, um, you know, a virtual coffee three days in a row may, may seem like a lot, right? So kind of taking a look at what does long-term sustainable engagement look like in the digital sphere as you may transition to that back to in-person um, hybrid experience and what, what does that look like? And again, it's about taking a look at what you as an organization can re- realistically accomplish. Um, it looks like taking a look at the technological features of whatever you're using. Um, I don't know if you guys know this, but on Microsoft Teams, you can change the view and it can have every everybody like look like they're sitting together like at a table. That kind of simulates some connectivity as well. So it's just about, <laughs> I think Beth really likes that. It works out well in some cases, but yes. <laughs> yes, yeah, right? So I think that, um, you know, technological features are continuing to evolve to simulate that connectivity. But again, it goes back to that that culture, right? Because you may have a coffee or something with your executive leadership team for your members. Not everybody may be on camera. So how do you continue to bring people into the into the room and into the conversation so it's not just a bunch of you know floating heads or names with with no interaction, if you will. I want I want to make sure I answer the question because I feel like I might have rambled a little bit, but I think you got some good nuggets in there too. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think I think there was a lot of good in there. And I'm like, okay, in 10 years, we're all just basically going to get up in the morning, put on our VR goggles. Actually, no, we'll put on these. We'll have the VR goggle embedded. And we'll just start typing on our virtual keyboards and talking to our coworkers who are all around us. Uh, I'll talk about 10 years, I don't know, but I do like to exercise via VR anyway, so. Um, well, to kind of further that point real quick, so, you know, it goes back to who are your members and are they all virtual or are they in the office? My members, they're not all virtual. They're in the district office. So their Zoom fatigue has had a relief. Um, but in the deep depths of lockdown and, and COVID and when we had to get that professional development out. We did try to break it up a little bit. We've got a a great member, um, a part of our organization who does, um, she's a yoga teacher. And so we would actually break it up with wellness 
10 to 15 minute wellness breaks of, you know, just getting up, stretching, doing some um, yoga moves. And it was really well received by our members uh, during that, that time to break up that Zoom fatigue. But uh, know your members. Are your members still virtual or are they back in person? And that will also go along with how you market to them, how you push out content to them. So knowing that my members are, are mostly back in the office, that changes how I market. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that that's what a lot of it comes down to. Know your membership. Mm-hmm. That, that's just a blanket. It's back there with the track adjust, track adjust. Know your membership, target, track adjust. Repeat, repeat, repeat. Um, so we've only got a few more minutes. I want to get to a few more questions. Um, just quickly, this, uh, are you finding, though, that a lot of people will register for the virtual and then not show up? So I, we because we've only done one virtual event last September when we had to shift, um, technically we were two, because um, one what is the one day, they all showed up maybe at different times, um, maybe only for a portion of the time, but they were all ready for this amazing event with valuable content. And then when we did it again for this one hour, let's raise your spirits, let's, you know, let's teach you about this amazing way that you can be a leader and to um, rejoice yourself for all the work that you do, which is huge for our members. I mean, they were just trying so hard to make online learning work across the country, across the world. We yeah. needed to raise their spirits. And so we found a way to do that through a virtual event. Um, and they all really loved it. So I think it's also the content. Are you providing the valuable content that's attracting them to come? And if you're not grabbing them, which in that first, let's just be real, like three to 10 seconds, you know, they're not going to stay. So that's also another thing too, is you got to grab them. You got to have that great content, reel them in and keep them in. Yeah. Um, so we had a question um, for large hybrid events. How do you integrate the two types of events? Um, this person says they're a small organization. So they're hesitant to take on a hybrid because it feels like we'd basically be hosting two separate events at the same time. How do you cope with that? So I can jump in with that. And the answer to the question is yes, you will be hosting two concurrent events at the same time. Um, that is exactly what we're doing right now. Um, we have two separate schedules for our, there's the in-person schedule and then there is the um, virtual schedule. The integration point is that our general session will be streamed live, um, obviously at the in-person conference and then streamed to the virtual attendees. But I don't, not going to lie. Yes, you you will be hosting kind of two, um, two events at the same time. I can provide some sort of like organizational kind of asset, like tips and tricks, like have two project plans because we have a virtual one and we have an in-person one. Make sure that you're um, conf not, not necessarily confident, but you're able as a staff to be able to adequately resource both because you'd have to send staff to an in-person and staff to a virtual. So um, I guess my point is like, stay tuned because this is what we're doing this year. I don't have any hard data or tracks, but it's really about having that great content, having um, the resources and the um, being realistic about what is able to be accomplished well. If you can only put on one well, I would recommend only do one. Don't try to separate it because that that's exactly what we're doing. The sessions schedule, like I said, they're separate for both. Um, 
um, member experiences, if you will. I don't know if Annie, if you have any better words of wisdom than I do. I'm like, yes, it is too. You're you're right. <laughs> no, no, there there's no doubt about it. You, it's just typical in the association world. You're wearing so many different hats at, at one day, two days, whatever. So if you're looking at doing two different events in person and virtual. You are going to get tired because you are going to be working, but it's for the members, the benefits of the members and their, your retention rate on that membership too, showing value for that membership. And, but to Ashley's point, if you just don't feel like you can do quality for the two of them, you can only do quality for the one of them, then just do one. Yes, go by. <laughs> you can chew essentially, right? I want to give a huge thank you to our panelists, panelists, Annie, Ashley, Jeff. Thank you so much for your time and your insights today. Um, thanks for joining. Hope you have a re great rest of your day. Bye, everyone.